My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Well, welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God. And today we are continuing through the book of Matthew, and we are continuing our journey through Matthew chapter 8. And we have just finished seeing that Jesus has uh, made it very clear what it means to be a disciple. He has healed people, and uh, now he's moving on, and he's about to do something that is another amazing demonstration of what he had taught on the Sermon on the Mount, of the power that he had to back that up. And he says, and we start in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 8. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves, but he was asleep. (laughs) Then his disciples came to him and woke him and said, Lord, save us, we're perishing. We're dying. Amazing. He's got a bunch of fishermen and he's on a boat and they're freaking out. Well, I mean, can you imagine what it must have been like for a bunch of fishermen to be getting like concerned? Now, the village of Capernaum, if you come with me to Israel, it's literally right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Like, I mean, it is right there. And Jesus, like many Galileans, was familiar with boats. He would have spent his whole life, you know, in boats, like even before his ministry, he would have been, it's like living by the sea. Um, even though it's really just a really big lake. <laughs> it's called the Sea of Galilee. It's just a really big lake. Um, and the Sea of Galilee is known, though, for having very violent storms, uh, just the way that the, the geography and topography of it is set up. And the severity of this storm is evident in their actual you know reaction, which is, Lord, save us. But he's asleep. And the disciples are desperate and Jesus is asleep, which must have been seemed so strange to them that in the middle of this massive storm, he could be asleep. Uh, and which I think actually should impress us, the fact that one, he needed to sleep, which meant that he really was human. I mean, the, the, he was tired. Jesus got physically tired. He needed rest. And he became tired and he needed to catch sleep wherever he was, even if it was in an unlikely place like a boat in the middle of a storm. And the fact that he could sleep there meant that his mind and his heart were peaceful enough and he could trust that God, his Father in heaven, was going to take care of him, that he could sleep in a storm, that he didn't have to worry. Remember, he's already told the disciples in the Sermon on the Mount three times, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. And the first time they get in the boat and there's big seas, what do they do? Worry. Because it's a big sea. You should get worried over big seas. And we're fishermen. So if we're fishermen and we're worried, then it's, that's, that's, that's uh, uh, permission for everybody to worry. See, we're no different from the disciples. Jesus, you can imagine him. He says to them uh, in verse 26, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Jesus rebuked their fear and their unbelief, not their request for waking him up. And we shouldn't think that Jesus was all of a sudden in a bad mood because he got woken up. No, he was upset at their fear. He was upset because they, their fear and unbelief go together. 
whenever whenever we find ourselves in a position of unbelief or fear, they are always linked. So if you're fearful about something, it's because you don't believe that God can take care of it. If you don't believe in something, then you have associated that thing with you, you, something you should be scared of because it's greater than God. When we trust God as we should trust him, then there's no room for fear and there's no room for unbelief. Spurgeon, he spoke to the men first for they were the most difficult to deal with. The wind and the sea could be rebuked afterwards. Now, these men who were in this boat had a lot of reason to have a lot of faith at this point in history. Okay, They'd just seen him do these significant miracles. They'd just seen him show power and authority. They'd seen an example of this great faith with the centurion uh, whose servant had been healed. And then Jesus is with them in the boat. They see Jesus asleep. Why didn't his peace give them peace? That's a question. Why? Why not? Why, why did they choose to freak out if he wasn't? That's a Greek word, freak out. I'll find it for you one day. <laughs> Jesus didn't merely quiet the wind and the sea. He rebuked the winds and the sea. And together with the disciples' great fear and what Jesus was going to encounter at his final destination leads some people to believe that there was some type of spiritual attack in this storm because if you know how the rest of this chapter plays out you can see that there is there's there's a setting for something that's spiritual it's not just physical adam clark supposed that the storm was probably excited by satan the prince of the power of the air who having got the author and all the preachers of the gospel together in a small vessel thought by drowning it to defeat the purposes of God, and thus to prevent the salvation of a ruined world. What a noble opportunity this must have appeared to the enemy of the human race. In other words, Satan knows that every person who's important in God's plan is in that boat, Jesus and the disciples. So let's just take care of it. Let's get rid of them all at once. And the men marveled because the disciples were amazed that such a powerful display over creation led them to ask the question, who can this be? Well, it could obviously only be Jesus, the Lord Jehovah, who had this power and authority. Psalm 89, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging of the seas. When waves rise, you still them. So in the span of a few moments of time, the disciples saw the complete humanity of Jesus when he was asleep, and then they saw the fullness of his divine, sovereign power when he calmed the seas. See, they saw Jesus for who he was. He was truly man and he was truly God. Verse 28. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, the other gospel accounts mention only one of these men, um, maybe because one of them was far more severe in his state of demonic possession. He had many demons. Now, they came out of the tombs and they were exceedingly fierce because these two unfortunate people were unclean because of their contact with the dead. And they displayed this horrible, fierce, uncontrollable behavior. 
And the demons drove these men to live among the dead in the tombs. Why? Because graveyards and the dead were unclean places that were offensive to Jewish people. Demons love death. Uh, a, a cemetery is no place for men to live. It's a place for the dead. And it made these men more frightening to other people as well as encourage the superstition in other people, fearing that the men were actually possessed by the spirits of the dead from the tombs in the graveyard. It all served Satan's purpose. So they say to Jesus, these demon-possessed men, and the demons are speaking through them, what have we to do with you, you son of God? The, these demons tormenting these poor men wanted to be left alone. They didn't want Jesus interfering in their work. Spurgeon, devils never like to be interfered with, but if the devils have nothing to do with Jesus, then he has something to do with them. The demons knew who Jesus was, even if the disciples in the boat didn't. Think about the two statements. Uh, the disciples in the boat, Jesus calms the sea. Who could this be that he calms nature? Said by the demons, Jesus, you son of God. <laughs> Why do the demons have more, more certainty and surety about Jesus' identity than the disciples who had seen him perform miracles? It's exactly the same as us. We still doubt Jesus, even though we've seen him do great and wonderful things. So they said to him, have you come here to torment us before the time? They knew that their immediate destiny, which was going to be to be cast out, uh, but they also knew that their ultimate destiny, which was to suffer everlasting torment, and they didn't want to get there too quickly. They wanted the freedom to do as much damage as they could before their time, before their destiny of torment. They also understood very clearly that they had a limited time frame to do damage, and they wanted to work as hard as they could until they couldn't work anymore. Um, I guess you could say it's an admirable thing that you could say about Satan and his demons is that our opportunists who work as hard as they can to get as much done. There you go. I never thought I'd say anything positive about him, but uh, his work ethic <laughs> says something, though, doesn't it, about our humanity. You can have a great work ethic and still be working for the devil. Okay, verse 30. Suddenly they cried out saying, whatever we, uh, sorry, after after they've cried that out, what have we have uh, to do with you, son of God? Now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged Jesus saying, if you cast us out of this man, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And Jesus said to them, go. One word, go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine. And suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea, perished in the water. They all drowned. Now, there were both Jews and Gentiles who populated the region of Galilee. So this was probably a herd of pigs that was owned by Gentiles. But most commentators of today believe that since the pigs were unclean for Jews, they actually should not have been there even if a Gentile actually owned them. And the demons wanted to enter the swine because they were bent on destruction. Not only that, demons hate to be idle. So it's not so much a work ethic as it is an agitation to not rest. 
And Matthew Poole said this, the devil is so fond of doing mischief that he would rather play at a small game than to stand out. But we also notice that the demons can't even afflict these pigs without the permission of God. John A. Trapp, if a legion of devils had not power over a herd of hogs, how much less have they over Christ's flock of sheep? That was actually a quote by a Christian writer by the name of Tertullian, who was born in 160 AD and wrote that same passage. John Trapp quoted it. So when they came out, they went into the whole herd of swine and the herd of swine ran violently and perished and drowned in the water. There's nothing comparable to this in the Bible anywhere. Uh, the casting out of demons uh, from humans into animals. But Jesus had good reason to allow it. Why? The fact that the demons immediately drove the, the, the pigs to destruction helps explain why Jesus allowed the demons to enter the pigs. Because he wanted everybody to know what the real intention of the demons was. They wanted to destroy these two men just as they were going to destroy these pigs. But because the men were made in the image of God, they couldn't have their way as easily with the men as they could with the pigs. But their intention was exactly the same, to kill and destroy. Now, another reason why the devils were sent into the pigs was to conclusively show that they had been cast out of the men. If they were in there, then they weren't in them anymore. Spurgeon had several wise comments on the way that demons afflicted and affected the swine. He said this, Swine prefer death to devilry, and if men were not worse than swine, they would be of the same opinion. They run hard whom the devil drives, and the devil drives his hogs to a bad market. (laughs) Great imagery. Verse thirty. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. Astonishing. Jesus knew human nature, and he knew what to expect as this crowd was coming towards him. But his disciples probably had no clue. They're thinking, oh, wow, look at all of them coming. They're coming to congratulate Jesus. Jesus is like, nope, that's not going to happen. The work of Jesus had unified the whole city, but it was not unity in a good way. It was unity in a way where they asked Jesus to leave. Now, you would think that the people of this region would be very happy that these two demon-possessed men had been delivered and were not tormenting the people from the city anymore. Maybe they were more upset about losing their pigs. Maybe they they were more interested in their pigs than the two men. Whatever happened, the delivering power of Jesus over these two men certainly did not make everybody feel comfortable. It might actually explain another reason why the demons wanted to enter the pigs in the first place. Because the idea is that the demons wanted to stir up hatred and rejection of Jesus. So they drove the swine to destroy themselves, hoping that it would be then blamed on Jesus, and then he would be unwelcome there. Who knows? You have to remember they're cunning. They're they're deceivers. 
And they've always got some kind of play in mind. But let me get to my observation for today. Because we've covered a lot in just this last part of Matthew chapter 8. My observation. If you're in a storm or you're confronted by evil, always remember that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than the storm and he's greater than any evil that you will ever encounter. How about we have a determination to have the same certainty of who Jesus is as the demons had instead of the same questioning of who Jesus is that the disciples had? How about we, instead of keep asking questions about whether God can pull things off and whether Jesus really is that powerful, how about we have a sure certainty of his sovereignty, of his power, of his goodness, of his love, of his hope and of his purpose for you? Because God loves you and he has a purpose and a plan for your life. And you might be in the middle of a storm right now. Can I tell you that Jesus is sleeping right alongside you? You don't need to worry. If you're being confronted by evil right now, let me tell you that Jesus is greater than any evil that's confronting you. God is going to help you through whatever circumstance you're in. Heavenly Father, I pray for people right now watching this. I pray, Lord, for those who are in the middle of a storm, that you would allow them to just be calm, Lord, by the peace of the presence of Jesus with them in the middle of the storm. I pray, Lord, for anybody who's worrying, Lord, for them to immediately stop it right now in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, for anybody who's confronted by evil right now to know that Jesus is always greater than any evil that confronts them. And I pray, Lord, that we would have a certainty of who Jesus is, a certainty that you are Jesus Christ of Nazareth, our Lord and Saviour. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.